This journey we call life, we are called to follow God. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow.
Jesus did for us on the cross all those years ago. It was
sunrise seems to bring fresh reasons for fear. They're talking layoffs at work, slowdowns in the economy, downturns in the housing market, upswings in global warming. The plague of our day, terrorism, begins with the word terror. Oversized and rude, fear herds us into a prison and slams the door. Wouldn't it be great to walk out? Imagine your life wholly untouched by anxiety. What if faith and not fear was your default reaction to threats? If you could hover a fear magnet over your heart 
and extract every last shaving of dread, insecurity, and doubt, what would remain? Envision the day when you can trust more and fear less. Imagine your life without fear. In the evening, Jesus said, let us cross over the lake to the other side. This is how I see this happening. It's late in the day. There's kids running around the lake throwing rocks in the water as kids like to do. Adults are breaking up from, the, from listening to Jesus and they're, they're talking in small groups, getting ready to head to their homes. The disciples and Jesus get into the boat. Uh, the fishermen that are sailors are in charge of pulling up the anchor, setting the sails, steering the boat. The other disciples are quite happy to just sit around and lounge, glad for the break. Jesus, who's exhausted, moves to the stern of the boat, finds a cushion, lays his head down, and goes soundly to sleep. By the time it's fully dark, they're in the middle of the lake, and a squall comes up, and the wind starts blowing. Fishermen are used to this. They know how to handle it. They pull the sail down so it won't get torn. They lace down everything that's loose, and they're going to ride it out. But the waves get stronger and, and be, become more intense. Water's coming in over the side as the as a huge waves wash against the, the boat. The disciples start bailing. They're starting to panic. They're bailing as fast as they can, and they feel like they're losing it. Their eyes are weary from staring out in the darkness to see, is there any other boat out there that could help us? But they know there's no one out there that could help them because if there was, they'd be in the same danger they're in. Eventually, they discover Jesus is not among us. He's not bailing. So they go to look for him. He's still sound asleep. They wake him up. And they say, Jesus, we're in peril. Don't you care? Don't you care? There are many storms that wash against our ships. Illnesses. Important relationships that seem to be going sour. Terror. Uh, the financial situation. What's our government up to? There's lots of things that worry us. And we try to get it fixed ourselves. And eventually, we look around and we see... Jesus is not with us. So you go and, and search for Jesus and you say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Jesus said to the disciples the same thing he says to us. I'm with you. What are you afraid of? If that still quiet voice that Jesus uses sometimes to steer you this way or that way has been asking you, what are you afraid of? We hope you'll consider attending the, uh, the, the short series of classes we're going to be uh, giving called Fearless by Max Lucado. Uh, I'll be in the back after church, and uh, you can talk to me if you've signed up. Uh, fine, if you haven't, you can sign up then. We have books. Uh, your assignment is to read the first chapter for next Sunday. Look forward to seeing you there. It's how we get to heaven. And if you're not sure exactly what that'll be like. Thanks.
few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Ken asked me to uh, get prepared to stand up this week and say something a little bit about heaven in the class uh, that I'll be facilitating. And I don't know why, uh, when I thought about this um, speech or advertisement, whatever you want to call it, I thought about food. <laughs> and I remember, and I'm going somewhere with this story, I remember when I was young, I grew up about 100 yards from Mancini's Bakery. Um, it was, I, you could smell the fresh bra baking bread in the air all the time. If you've had a Pamani sandwich, you've had Mancini's bread. That, and I lived right next to that bakery, and I smelled it growing up my whole life. And one of my favorite things to do was when I came home, I would stop at Mancini's Bakery, and I would get that fresh baked bread. It, I, it didn't even come in a plastic bag. They would put it in a, like a, a you know, paper bag. And what ended up happening is I would go home. It would be still warm. There would be times where I, I had to switch hands because it was so hot and so fresh. And then I would walk through my backyard, and my mom would grow tomato plants all over the backyard, and I'd pick some fresh tomatoes. And then I'd go in the house, and then I would melt some cheddar cheese, and I would slice that fresh bread, and that's what I would eat for dinner. I think I still have about 10 pounds of that on me some 40, 35 years later. But the thing that made it really, really good was it was fresh. It was, it was, it was just right out of the oven. And I have been studying the material that we're going to look at, and I have been reading the book uh, that Randy Alcorn has written on this topic and what the series is based on. And in this teaching on heaven is fresh. It's, 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 we always hear we're going to heaven. We always hear someone's in a better place. But we don't really even have an idea of what that place really is. And as I was doing some reading on it and studying it, and reading the materials, I, I sensed myself getting very excited about it. And something happened, too, over the last few weeks as I've been reading through the book. When we realize the glory that is before us and what God has built for us, this place that we're going to be as it's as real as we are right now, as we are sitting in this church, we are going to be there one day if we know Christ. And when you study it and you learn about it and you see this fresh teaching on it, suddenly the things that were really important of this world, the problems that seemed really big, when you started to study what's before us, it started to really shrink those things down. And I also got a real appreciation of the love of Christ and how much he loves us because he's prepared this great place for us. So I'm actually very excited to actually for everyone to participate in this fresh teaching uh, because I, I know you'll find it enjoyable. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. I've heard that Mancini's story twice now this morning, and I'm so hungry I can't stand it. You, you, you're killing me, I'll tell you what. I can smell that bread from here, from here. I don't know where it is. I want to go to Chuck's class. Mike, I want to come to your class. I don't know how I'm going to do this all. If you're 
the, uh, the financial peace class is full, but these two classes, which you've heard mentioned this morning, still have some spots, so you can sign up this morning on your little piece of paper there. Uh, please reach in the book rack and pull out one of our friendship folders, please, one of those little black folders. And if you'll put your name on that and give it to a person sitting next to you, we'll appreciate that. Then let me just add one other thing, and then our ushers will come. Uh, Al Zabritsky announced last night in our Saturday night service the men's breakfast this Saturday over here at Mitty's Restaurant. Uh, the notice is in here, men. We'd like to invite you to come and be a part of it. Please either uh, tell us, fill out that little thing in the courier that you're going to be there or call in to Diane so that we can uh, prepare the restaurant for our arrival this uh, Saturday morning, the men's breakfast. Okay, let's stand together, please, as our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you every Sunday, every week, for your participation in the offering. It, it's uh, appreciated greatly. Dear Lord, we thank you for providing a, a means of income for our family. We pray now that you will uh, provide uh, the means of income for your church, Lord, through your people. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
stand with us one last time before Pastor comes. Just asking God to pour out our hearts for nothing but Him. Allow Him to fill our hearts, fill our souls. Bibles today, please, to the book of John, chapter 14. Book of John, chapter 14. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the 
five laws that govern prayer. If you were here last week, you remember me telling you I was down rooting through the basement of our house, and it's a real basement. It looks like one. It smells like one. Sometimes I think there's critters down there. I was looking through some of the old boxes, and I found a box of books, and, and uh, they were old books. And uh, you can always tell an old book, it just, it just looks that way. And I opened it up, and up in the right-hand corner, there was 15 written in pencil. And for those of you who are book collectors, you know what that is. That, that's probably what it sold for way back in 1920, 15 cents. Uh, it's a book on prayer. It's written by S.D. Gordon, and the title of it is Five Laws That Govern Prayer. Now, I know that nothing new has probably been discovered in the Bible uh, in recent years, uh, but it's, it's nice to look back at another generation and hear uh, a different uh, nuance. Uh, they use different terms, uh, and sometimes they give a statement that you just say, oh, is that good? Well, S.D. Gordon was a person like that. We want to begin reading today in John chapter 14, verse 13. Actually, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these uh, he will do because I go to my Father. Jesus promised those who followed him in the future to do greater works than he did, not in power, but in sheer number across, the, across around the globe. You're going to do greater works than these which you've seen. And then he says, this is how you're going to do it right here, verse 13. For whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is one of the grand purposes of prayer right here, that the Father will be glorified, that what you and I do in our life may put the spotlight on God, not us, but on God Almighty. Then he, he uh, reiterates in verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Those are very interesting words from our Lord. Last week, if you were here, you remember we talked about the first law that S.D. Gordon talks about, the law of need. Uh, why would anybody want to uh, spend any kind of time whatsoever talking to God if we didn't need anything? We could like just get all of our needs from our friends or we could produce all of the things we need by ourselves. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, and 32, he says, your father knows what need you have, referring to the Lord God. We are his children. He looks down. He says, listen, I know what you need. Like every good father, they usually know what their kids need. Now, the kids don't think the father knows, right? But the father has traveled over the, over the road of life, and he knows what kids should have and what they shouldn't have. And so Jesus is reaffirming that thought on a grander scale, and he's saying, listen, you have lots of needs, I know it, but just keep this in mind, your Father in Heaven knows exactly what you need. And then he gives us that tremendous verse in Matthew 6, 33. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, all your needs. Uh, God will meet your needs if you seek him first. You don't have to make it the, the dominating principle in your life to go out and provide your needs. Now, you have to work hard. If you work hard, that really uh, contributes to the whole scenario. We're not supposed to just sit back and say, oh, God's going to supply my needs. Well, you know, as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that means that we're going to obey what the Lord says in the Bible, and he teaches a whole lot in the Bible about working hard, working hard. I saw an interview on television not long ago, and they were, this fellow had built this little company up from nothing. It was just so tremendous, and they were heaping all sorts of accolades on him. And uh, he said, people tell me all the time how lucky I have been. And he said, I always tell them, you could be lucky too if you worked harder. It's amazing how much hard work can contribute to your luck, he said. Well, you know, the Lord says, if you seek me first, that means you seek him and obey him and do the principles that we're supposed to work through our life, then he'll meet your needs. That's the law of need. And secondly, remember, we talked about the law of abiding. If um, you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be given to you. That means that refers to our relationship with God, our fellowship. When we're saved, we are united to the family of God, but you know our relationship kind of goes up and down with God, don't you think? Sometimes we're close to God, sometimes we're far away from God. Uh, but we always have that connection, that, that, that relationship. We're born into the family of God. Uh, he adopted us. We said yes. He said okay. Uh, we're in the family of God to stay. Um, the law of abiding is important. You know, prayer needs time, daily time. It needs a quiet time. I like to hear people use that term, quiet time. It's been around for a long time, but I, I don't think we'll ever wear, wear it out. It needs, uh, we need a quiet time. And that's what Jesus said when he said, when you pray, I want you to go into your room and close the door. And what he's saying is, listen, I want your time. I want your attention. I want your affection. I want quality time. And I know that we can pray anywhere, anytime, any place, but seldom do we do that if we don't have a specific place, a place that we go in the room and close the door. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That means be silent, be quiet in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know it's a fight in our culture to do this, uh, and the schedule that we run on is against us, but we just have to make a new schedule as a Christian. We have to say, listen, uh, I'm going to do exactly what Jesus said. I'm going to go into the room and I'm going to close the door and I'm going to have some quiet time with him. Now, the third uh, principle or law uh, he talks about is praying in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name. Whatever you ask in my name, that's the password of prayer. The name of Jesus. That's what gets you in to the presence of God. I don't know if some of you remember when you were a kid, you used to like build little things in the uh, little places out and you'd, you'd have a password and some of the other kids would come and they'd knock on the door and, and you would say, what's the password? You smile when I say that because you remember. And they would say some crazy word and you said, no, that's not the password, you can't come in. 
but if uh, the, the password got out to the people that you wanted it to get out to, they had the right word, and so they could come in. Now, the password into the presence of God is Jesus. Uh, I think that we could say this. I think that Jesus is saying here, in effect, that the Father, Father, here is a friend of mine from Finleyville. Give him what he wants for my sake. He's been practicing the law of abiding with uh, his introduction. We can ask, he says, what we want. Now, Jesus' name is a new name on the lips of a a born-again Christian, right? Before you're saved, you're talking about everything else under the earth. If you're a sports fan, you talk about that. If you're a car guy, you talk about that. If you're this kind of a person, you talk about that. But when you're saved, it's easy to talk about Jesus. It's easy. We have a new name that we talk about. In fact, when we come together in church like, like this this morning, we come together in the name of Jesus. Matthew 18, 24, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. We give things to people in the name of Jesus. Remember? Mark 9, 41 says, For whosoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name will not lose his reward. Many years ago, we had a fellow in our church. His name was Irv Himmel. He lived right over here in Bethel Park. And uh, he was always... I mean, he just consumed the Bible. He was a, a, a consumer of the Bible. And he always tried to do things so literally. That, you know, if the Bible said it, he would try to do that. And I remember one time I was downstairs and I said something about, boy, I'd like to have a cup of water. And uh, he heard it and he ran out to the water fountain. He got a little cup or something. He filled it with water and he came running to me. And he said, Pastor John, I give this water to you in the name of Jesus. And it was so dramatic. I'd never had a drink of water like quite that dramatic before. But, uh, but uh, that's what uh, the Bible talks about, giving. Whenever we give, we give in the name of Jesus. Jesus reiterated this whole thought in John 16, 23. He said, in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, whenever we use the name of Jesus, we use it thoughtfully because we know that the tremendous sacrifice he made on the cross for us, and it humbles us. We use it boldly, too. The goal of prayer is stated right here, and we read it for you, that the Father may be glorified. And so we should be asking ourselves, and I'm talking to myself this morning just like I'm talking to you, I should be asking myself, is this for which I am praying for the glory of the Father? Is it really? Well, that has a lot to do with it. The next uh, principle of prayer or law of prayer, S.D. Gordon says, is skill and practice. Now, that kind of intrigued me. It really did. Because I had never heard it said like that before. Skill. Can a person actually become skillful in prayer? I think so. You know, whenever we first come to Christ, we don't know much about the dimensions of prayer. Uh, the one thing that we do know is that it works. Because Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And what we did is we called upon the name of the Lord, and what did he do? He saved us, and we knew that there was something big going on in our life. And so, therefore, we deduced that prayer really does work, but that's all we knew about it. That's the only thing we knew about it. You know, the prayer of a child is different than the prayer of an adult. Uh, Now, I believe that God loves to hear the prayers of children, don't you? Whenever you have an issue, you should go to as many kids as you can find and say, now, would you pray for me? (laughs) Because they have such pure faith, don't they? They just pray and they just know that God is out there and they know that he's coming through for them and it's just like, there's no hang-ups, there's no issues. And sometimes we are the exact opposite. We have all the information in our mind biblically and we pray and we're in the course of our praying, we're saying, I know this is not going anywhere. And so ask kids to pray for you, but... There's a, there's a kind of praying that kids do and there's a kind of praying that adults do. And, and we're always trying to go back and learn from the kids their humility of prayer. But God says, hey, listen, I want you to move on and be more skillful, taught by the Holy Spirit. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. Uh, the Holy Spirit, you carry him around inside of you. What, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Our body is his temple. In fact, in John 14, 23, the Lord says, I'm going to make you my home. And that's thought-provoking. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? John 14, 26 says that he is our helper uh, and he's going to teach us all things. And so I think one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to teach us is how to pray. And you're going to see in a minute that I think that prayer is the most important thing in all the world for a Christian. The most important thing in all the world. It's through prayer that we enter the presence of God. It's through prayer that we are connected with God in our fellowship. John 16, 13 says, The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. And so the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is available to teach us all things that we need to know And I think one of those things that we need to know is to grow up spiritually in prayer, to learn the dimensions of prayer as we practice prayer. You know, we uh, learn more than the basic prayers that we've heard in church as we grow in prayer. Prayer becomes multidimensional. We learn to pray less and less prayers of desperation. Most of us are good at those kind of prayers. Uh, When we get our back against the wall and nothing else works for us, we cry out to God, and we're pretty good at it. We just yell out to God. We're desperate for God. Um, But I think it's so much better to, instead of praying reactively, to start praying proactively. Instead of praying from behind the situation, let's get out in front of the situation. And when we do that, things we pray differently. Less and less prayers of desperation. More prayers of adoration. Now, when a little child is praying, it doesn't necessarily know about prayers of worship to God. It doesn't know how to worship God. He has his little circle. He prays for mother, father, Uncle Joe, Aunt Mary, uh, the pastor of the church, hopefully, etc., 
But the circle is kind of small. But as you grow in prayer, you, you begin to read the Bible and you begin to see, boy, I'll tell you what, prayer is, one of the great dimensions of prayer is to worship God. And then uh, more of prayers of confession. I think that whenever I first received the Lord as my Savior, I would pray that prayer, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Boy, that's quick and neat, isn't it? It's like, doom. Okay, that's done. But, you know, as you grow in prayer, you begin to realize, listen, I can't, uh, I've, got to, I've got to be bold and truly honest with God. And uh, I have to bring up things that are very sensitive. And then I think eventually you come to the place where you can assimilate Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. And what that means is, God, I'm giving you the permission to turn the spotlight on my heart and look around in there. What do you see? Because oftentimes we live a lifetime and we have things in the corners of our heart and we just kind of gloss over them and they stay there and nothing changes. But Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 gives God the permission, Lord, here's my heart. Look in there, every corner of it. And show me what needs to change in my life. That's growing in confession. And then changing it through the power of God. And then more prayers of thanksgiving. I don't know what's taken over me recently. But I've just been thankful for everything. It's almost ridiculous, really. Because everything I see that comes my way... Uh, I, I filter it through what God says, that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father in heaven, and I just have to thank God, like, for almost everything. And I begin to delineate all those things, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And I never did that when I first came to Christ. And so now I have this whole dimension, if you will, of the prayer of thanksgiving. And then more prayers of supplication. Remember I said the little child, he has his little circle, he's praying, and it's so precious and so wonderful. I pray for mommy and daddy and grampy. I just got this thing in the mail for my oldest grandson. How old is Jason? Is he 25 years old? 26. He sent me this thing from Texas. It's my oldest grandson. He's 26 years old, and it was addressed, Grampy Arnold. Exactly. He put that in there. I thought, that is really cool. I remember they were kidding me one day, and I think my boy Danny says, no, it shouldn't be grampy, it should be grumpy. <laughs> you know, I'm glad that didn't stick. Now, don't you spread that around. I'm glad that sometimes, you know, you say something, it sticks. That one didn't stick. I can live with grampy, but not grumpy. Well, uh, you know, a little kid prays. He's praying over, bless mommy, daddy, uncle Bill, aunt Mary. The circle is small. But as you grow in God, you know what happens? Your circle gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and you have to grow in supplication. There's one other thing. Uh, we need to learn that, that wordless prayer is okay, too. And what is wordless prayer? It's when we can't get our heart out to our lips. When we come to the place that we are just emotionally immobilized, we are completely distraught. We can't even hardly move. And then the Bible says, Romans eight twenty six: the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we 
for the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. We just come to the place that we can't do it. Wordless prayer. Turn over quickly to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Remember, this is where we started out a few weeks ago when we talked about all the prayers of Jesus in the book of Luke. Luke 11, 1, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Look at verse number 9, or verse number 8. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, I want you to notice that, persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Jesus is teaching to be persistent here in prayer. And so that's the last law that S.D. Gordon talks about, the law of confidence and persistence. Now, some prayers are answered immediately. And every now and then, God surprises you with one of them. Lots of prayers take lots of time to get answered. I'm reminded of Daniel chapter 10. When Daniel was praying to the Lord, he was so sincere in his prayer. But it took a while to get the answer. And the angel finally came with the answer 21 days later and said that the very day that David started to pray, God dispatched him with the answer. But he was held up by a demon in the invisible world. And so the whole wrestling match of demons took place there until the answer came through to him. Some, some answers are on the way right now, but they're hung up in the invisible world. Daniel persisted on in prayer, and God got the victory. Now, God's plan is somehow predicated upon our response to his commands. Now, I don't think God needs us at all in this world, but he chooses to need us and to use us in his divine plan. He doesn't mock us when he says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. He doesn't mock us when he says, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, then you can ask. He doesn't mock us. He, those words are his promises. And he promises not to respond to the situation if we don't ask. And so we are somehow in his plan an integral part of how his plan moves forward in the world. Now, many years ago in London there was a mother who earned a living washing clothes and ironing. Um, she was like many other mothers, bending over her washboard, praying for her son, John. Okay? Her son, John, was, uh, was a runaway. He went off to sea. She had lost contact with him for years. And as you might suspect, many dangerous things happened at sea. His name was John Newton. Uh, he was a despicable person. His life was ruined. 
and he went about ruining other people's lives. But one day, a storm overtook the boat, and uh, death was imminent. And uh, he began to think about his mother and about the end of his life. He was actually known as the great blasphemer. He was the worst of the worst. But when, when little John Newton was a kid, his mother taught him in the scriptures. And uh, he knew many Christian songs. And so those memories come flooding back into his mind at this crucial hour and uh, she was praying that her son lost at sea would become a preacher. Well, sometimes it takes something pretty cataclysmic to get a person's attention, but this ship and the ship going down caught his attention, and he decided that he wanted to become a Christian right there and become a preacher, and a preacher he was. He touched the lives of thousands of people, and he wrote the world's most famous song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. Well, his life impacted Thomas Scott. Thomas Scott was a sophisticated, refined scholar who came to Christ as a result of John Newton. He touched literally thousands of lives. His life touched William Cowper. He thought he was was too bad to be saved, but after he was saved, he wrote this song, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. And his life touched William Wilberforce. He became a Christian statesman in England. And his life touched Reverend Lee Richmond of the Channel Islands. The Channel Islands are the islands between England and France. Reverend Lee Richmond wrote a little book entitled The Dairyman's Daughter, and you can read it online, The Dairyman's Daughter. He interviewed a very simple Christian woman who lived such an exemplary life, and he went and he interviewed her and he wrote down stories about her life And he put it in print, and it was translated into 40 languages. It changed people's lives everywhere. And the success of the story led many people to make a pilgrimage to visit the grave of the dairy man's daughter. Her name was Miss Walbridge, including Queen Victoria. People came from America to visit her graves. And the chair in which she sat for the interview, is now owned by the American Tract Society. But that little book found entrance all over the world and lives were changed. Now, in S.D. Gordon's book, little book that I found in the basement, he says this, concluding this. He said, Hush your heart, take off your hats and your shoes, please in reverence, An old woman bent over her wash tub. Her tears were mingled with her soap suds as she prayed for her boy, John. Who is the hero of the story? It is 
John Newton's mother. It was because of her all of these magnanimous, life-changing things happened in people's lives because she wouldn't give up praying for her lost son lost at sea. Well, my statement to you this morning is this. What could ever be as important as prayer? Nothing that I know of. Nothing that I... Now, my last challenge to you is this. Could you be something like her? Could you be that? Will you, in the toil of your life, never give up? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks it shall be opened. That's a command in the present imperative tense. And that means that we should always be doing that and never give up. Just like Elijah climbed up to Mount Carmel and he looked out over the ocean and uh, out over the water and expected uh, to see some rain coming. He kept waiting and kept waiting and kept waiting and kept praying, and eventually it came. Uh, hold on. Don't give up. Uh, there's The answer is coming your way. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed this morning and our, our eyes closed, I wonder how you fit into this whole story this morning. The five laws that govern prayer, they're all... In the Bible, of course. Uh, but are they in alignment in our life? Uh, you know, does our life line up with that? And will we then continue on praying for that person that has absolutely no interest, maybe not lost at sea, but lost in the world right now, Will we become the person who makes a difference? That question can only be answered by each and every person, individually. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, showing us in your word these laws, these principles. The law of abiding, the law of praying in Jesus' name, the law of skill and learning from the Holy Spirit the law of persistence. We pray that you will help our lives align with those uh, principles in the Bible that you have set forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning as we sing our invitation song. And as we sing on this first verse, maybe there's something you need to come and pray about this morning. The Lord has touched your heart. You just feel free to do that as we sing together.
announcement tonight at 4:30, choir is going to be starting to get ready for Easter and um, we really would love for you to be a part of it um, it's gonna be something a little different this year and um, if you enjoy singing and you enjoy just worshiping the Lord we're gonna really have a time of just learning what it's really like to worship through song and through music and getting ready and if you have any desire to just use your voice that God has given you please join us tonight at 4:30. you're in for a great treat amen Amen. Thank you. And uh, let me just add, it's been a great day in the church this morning. Have you sensed the strength of the Lord here in our church this morning? It's been beautiful, hasn't it? Turn around and shake hands with a few people before you're dismissed. God bless you. Have a great day.